when you give people a place where they can have meaning and fulfillment, those profits follow. So we have it kind of backwards. We're trying to do all these very strategic activities, add a new location and launch a new product. And those are all well and good, but those are not going to bring you nearly as much revenue and profit until you actually connect with your people and you give them a wonderful place to work where they want to come every day where they feel engaged, where there's this feeling of like, we're all in service, not only to the mission of the company, but we're in service to each other. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. you're listening to this and you identify as a leader, guess what? You're not alone because leadership is one of those topics that gets talked about all the time. And it's overused on many different levels. It's saturated both on LinkedIn and in the news and people want to be one. And so today, as we talk about the rise of flat leadership, I have invited Joe Meserve, and she, remember her name because it sounds like deserve, and you do. So that's why Joy is here, and she is also the founder of Leading with Joy. And what we're really going to talk about is not necessarily in the absolute what is leadership, but really being able to provide a before, like what it used to be back in the day, and what you need to know as you are in your career transition, if, as a leader what that means today, because this is not only super important, but you want to be able to use these cues so you are aligning with companies that are on board with this type of leadership. Otherwise, you'll be back in the dark ages, and that's not where we want you to be. So, Joy, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us why there is the rise in flatter leadership and how you moved into this turf. Well, thank you, Lauren. I'm so excited to be here. So I am talking with a lot of people, especially women, and so many people I speak with are feeling stuck, stuck in an unfilling workplace culture because either they themselves or their supervisors have never learned how to effectively motivate and engage not only their employees, but their peers. And so I believe that we can make workplaces better. And I offer executives, leaders, and managers really practical and sustainable frameworks that they can use to create environments where not only the profits thrive, and as you mentioned, that outdated way of leading, right? Transactional process, you will do this to earn us revenue, 
right? I want not only the profits to thrive because that comes after, I want the people to thrive as well. So I'd like to offer an updated, more modernized view of the American dream. Okay. So there's a conundrum here, right? Because most leaders have something, a number, a head count, an initiative on their back. So all due respect, and I completely support and validate. So how do you get to a place where you're making peace with the fact that you have this big responsibility and also start threading through some of these more modern practices? Yeah. Well, so I think the the typical American dream is you get this job just so that you can pay for the house so that you can have the kids who then want the dog and that dog needs the picket fence, right? But that job for too long has been lacking in meaning and fulfillment. And this is at every level. And what leaders typically don't understand is that when you flip that on its head and you give people that a place where they can have meaning and fulfillment, those profits follow. So we have it kind of backwards. We're trying to do all these very strategic activities to, you know, add a new location and uh, launch a new product. And those are all well and good, but those are not going to bring you nearly as much revenue and profit until you actually connect with your people and you give them a wonderful place to work where they want to come every day, where they feel engaged, where, like you said, there's this feeling of like, we're all in service, not only to the mission of the company, but we're in service to each other. And I think that's where you get that flat leadership you're talking about. Mm. So for those of us who have spent any time in the quote unquote ivory tower, um, come on down because honestly, this is really, it's vital. And we're going to talk about ways that this is also incorporating your job search. Some of the language that you might want to use that tips them off to say, Hey, this person is the real deal as far as um, a leadership in today's organizations. So the first area I would love for you to split apart is empowerment versus control. So I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've not had a lot of um, leaders who were necessarily empowering. In fact, almost the opposite, disempowering. So how do, how do people in their search find out, like, are they that? Are, are they micromanaging? Are they controlling? Are they, what are the, it's very hard. I mean, how much are you going to be able to glean off of LinkedIn? And interviews, while some people would argue are very long and lengthy, they are also um, not necessarily a pure depiction of what it's going to be like when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to want to look for words like, I want to give opportunities to people. I'm invested in the growth. So a leader's core responsibility at our core is to grow more leaders for the organization. And that process, I can guarantee you, is extremely rewarding for you as well. 
So I want to take you back to when I was 23 years old. Um, I had dozens of jobs before this, but when I was 23 years old, I stumbled into a company. I took a chance on a startup during the dot-com crash of 2000. <laughs> so I was the third employee hired on here. And day one, I was given the greatest gift. I asked my boss, he's the CEO. I said, okay, what do you have here in terms of, you know, playbook and rules for how we operate our programs? And he said, that's your first assignment. So not only did that give me a great opportunity, but he also gave me ownership. He gave me freedom and autonomy through this process, but he didn't just let me go and see if I did well. He partnered with me along the way to provide the support that I needed. That was that first year. I really got the sort of training wheels on this process through him. He was guiding me along the way. Fast forward to the next year, I was on my own. I could do this thing on my own, right? I was iterating year after year after year. It was my baby. And so I fell in love with this place. I fell in love with the job. I fell in love with the people. I was able to, able to hire amazing people. And through that, I made it my mission to make sure everyone else was offered the same kind of opportunities so that they could actually provide the most possible value to the organization. We could play to their strengths and their strengths would be on display for the rest of the organization. And when you do that, when you put a spotlight on people and you really recognize them and value them for their work and what they do, beautiful things happen. Because not only do they feel vested and like an owner over this project that they did, but they start to feel like they're owners of the company itself. Mm. And so what that creates is people who want to stay um, at my company. We had, you know, an award-winning culture. There you go. There's the award, right? That we applied for and won, right? Year over year over year. But here's the indicator is that people stayed for years. Rarely did someone leave on their own accord. So you're talking retention. Right. You're yeah. talking like, I want to be here, not just for the paycheck, not just for the benefits, not just because it looks good on my resume. You're talking about I'm I'm here because I'm all in. Right. I'm here right. because I I'm just like fired up. And a lot of the folks that I talk to, they want to be skipping to work on Monday. That's a big deal. And so that doesn't come from on high. It comes from the spotlight, as, as you just mentioned. And so as you are uncovering, you know, empowerment versus control, how, what happens if you're not being empowered? What mm. happens then? What happens if you are just being controlled and manipulated? And what do you do if you are part of that so-called um, succession line to be, uh, to be, the leader making more leaders. Now you're blocked. Right, right. So you're probably in a toxic workplace culture. You have two options. First option, I would try. I would give this company a chance. 
So I would sort of reverse engineer this and you've got to be a strong advocate for yourself, right? And what I would actually recommend is bringing somebody in to help not only the managers, we typically say, oh, it's the managers who need new skills, right? These leadership skills. It's the leaders, it's the executives. I've seen, you know, chiefs all the way up to the C-suite who've sort of skipped this process of learning how to effectively manage and motivate people. Um, but I would also say you could um, advocate and say, hey, I want something meaty. This is what I'm really good at. I see this problem over here. I'd love to tackle it. Can I get a team of people together? So there you get autonomy and choice over who I want to work with, right? And can I show you what we can do to solve this? Would that be okay? And they're like, yeah, there's a problem there and you want to take that on? Great. Yeah, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be extra work. But here's the thing about this kind of work. If you really are playing to your strengths and you're really excited about solving this problem, it's going to fulfill you. So I define fulfillment as when we utilize our potential to its highest level, right? And that fulfillment, guess what? Fulfillment brings you joy and happiness. I'm also going to maybe add in a little extra sauce, right? It's the kind of energy that doesn't include burnout. Yes. I think that there's a really important nuance there because what I don't hear you say is, yeah, and you're going to be just you know, burning the midnight oil and you're going to feel joyful over it. No, you're going to feel a sense of excitement and or, um, you know, momentum around that so that it's not an assignment that is just more workload. It's an assignment that comes with opportunity for you to be like strutting your stuff. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you just said strutting your stuff. So you're also going to say, hey, I want an opportunity to share this with the team, right? I want to be able to have some time to present this, to educate them on this is how we do this now, or I created this thing that's going to help everybody, or this is the new direction I believe we should go in. Can I speak to the board? Right? We can be bold. And even if they shoot you down, you tried, right? And so that's going to give you the litmus test for your option number two. Your option number two is to work with Lauren, (laughs) to get out of there and work with Lauren to find a place that's going to give you that ability to spread your wings and really come into your own in terms of owning things and feeling like you're contributing to a company that you're being seen heard and valued for all that you do, that you're appreciated for that work, that's where you want to be. But if you really want to give this company a shot, you believe it's in its mission, then you've got to advocate for yourself and your team. And I always find volunteering is great. Every leader loves a volunteer. Mm, Fantastic. So all I can think about is that Clash song, Should I Stay or Should I Go Now? (laughs) It's like, it's like, like, literally, like I have this theme song in my head. And, you know, I appreciate that you talked about the litmus test, because there, there has to be some kind of um, accountability to when you're just knocking your head against the wall, and at the same time, offering the benefit of the doubt. Because what I'm going to ask is, now, when you are managing up, that's also another form of leadership. 
right? Because not everybody read the memos or or had the same quote unquote training. So don't think that just because you're not at the so-called higher level that your leadership is compromised. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So we're going to move on to the next kind of bucket that I want to talk about because I'm sure you're acutely aware that a lot of the DE&I efforts of around inclusivity are not exactly the popular kid in, in the organization right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as somebody who is a big believer in inclusivity, minority, uh, minority of race, sex, all of it, thought, how does this leadership kind of current and currency, how does that fit into today's organizations when it's being so-called deprioritized? Mm-hmm. Well, I will tell you that if you want to grow in an organization, what you need to do is lift those around you and under you up. So if you're at a certain level, right, and you have a team of people that you manage, when you all of a sudden lift this person up to a new level and they start managing more people because they're ready for it, your status grows in the company. So it is absolutely in every leader's best interest, every manager's best interest to spend time, no matter the race, gender, ethnicity, all of that good stuff, building every single person, no bias across the board up in the organization. As they take on more responsibility, you by proxy take on more responsibility under them. And so I think it's it's really going to, I just want to give this sort of self-serving message to some people who are thinking, oh, this doesn't serve me. This isn't worth the time and investment because it actually is. And when everybody in that organization feels like they're excited, like you said before, they have that momentum, that engagement, that energy, your profits per Gallup's poll are going to increase 21%. So I'm talking to our executives now. If you want your profits to increase 21%, you engage every single person in the company, regardless of who they are. Um, and I, you know, I'm I'm saddened by the fact that our DEI efforts are being the first thing looked at because I think that there's what we're teaching with that is we're teaching objectivity. Mm-hmm. And when we deliver feedback to our people. It is so important that we are objective, right? So I guess, I mean, I'm with you, right? And I, I'm, I, I'm on your bus. Like I, I'll crusade day and night for, for the same thing. But as somebody who is a leader exploring opportunities, then one of the questions from not that much of a recent past was really like a lot of the hiring managers and the cultures would be talking about it. And a lot of what I know, they're taking that off of their websites. They're, they're just moving some of that, some of that kind of um, corporate discussion and, or line in the sand or stake in the, in the ground. And, and they're not, they're, they're removing that. And I don't know, 
necessarily if that's because it's an election year or what the agenda behind that is. But where else, I mean, the only place that I can think of would be LinkedIn to be able to get a bird's eye view of what is really happening. But what else can anybody who is in a search do to be able to sniff out like the real advocacy for Mm -hmm. inclusivity when it is not necessarily Mm -hmm. part of the selling point of that organization. Right. Okay. So you're saying it's disappearing from the the front-facing website. However, organizations and the people inside might still be advocates on the inside. They might still have these programs. They're just not advertising them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So how how do we find them? I mean, we don't even know if they are kind of um, elevating them or speaking up about them. I'm not sure. I can't know from every organization. What I do know is that it's a heightened concern because we know that budgets are being cut in this area, that a lot of those programs are deprioritized. And, you know, some of the websites have actually made adjustments in order to make sure that there is no trail of a leaning towards one or the other. I I think the word that is is killing all of this, right, is is this idea that companies had to prepare for a recession. And so there was this kind of excuse of layoffs. Now when one company sees another company doing layoffs, they feel like, "Oh good, if we do a layoff too, it, we'll just blend in. It's everybody's doing layoffs right now." The word that I find that is sort of the telltale sign they're going to cut programs like this is lean. If you hear that and and your executives and leaders are saying, well, we run really lean here, that Mm -hmm. means anything that might be provided for the employee's benefit is in jeopardy of being cut. That means that they are really just focused on one thing, driving revenue. So that is the word I would look for and ask, like, how lean of an organization are you? Is that one of your values? Is that one of your priorities? And if you see, if you hear them say lean, I would take a second, I would take a second look. Now, I will say that um, in my former career of 22 years, there were years when we used that word lean, right? We brought in these high up executives and thought we were going to modernize and professionalize and grow up. Um, And that was the name of the game, especially if you've got venture capital, private equity, especially if you're answering to a board of directors or you were just acquired. Lean is the name of the game for those companies. And so I actually might recommend that you look for organizations that are privately owned and not funded um, because those organizations probably are going to be able to place a higher premium on making sure the people are, are valued and come first. Mm, I appreciate that so much. So lean is a code word for all of what you've just described. So mm-hmm. very, very helpful. Um, and also a great way to kind of sniff test out the real integrity around what that leadership is all about. I want to talk also about this area that really is so hard to measure and also so 
so, um, I guess you could say celebrated. And that is emotional intelligence over authoritarianism. And so I've also run into these situations where empathy and compassion and other so-called EQ-related topics are table stakes for leaders. Table stakes. It's not even a nice to have. However, oftentimes they aren't necessarily measured in performance reviews. Oftentimes it's, it's one of those things that's cost of entry, like I said, and the authoritarian piece is, like I said, rewarded and celebrated. So how does this factor into the difference between old leadership? You know, you're going to get, you're going to get more because you pumped it out versus um, some of the other areas that we know emotional intelligence has the real, the real value and, and long-term stability around. Mm-hmm. So I think that if, if I were looking for a job right now and I wanted to find a company that was going to, um, not just, um, you know, advertise their values, but really live their values. I would look for a couple of things. So I would look for, um, okay, what are those values? And I would ask, what about the behaviors? Like what actually do you do that demonstrates those values? I would really want to get, because I, I really feel that when we, we behave a certain way and those patterns are repeated over and over, that's how you get to what their culture is. So Mm. if you can sniff out what those behaviors are, you're going to find a better company. And the second thing is the benefits. So I think that you'll find um, better benefits at companies who are more inclusive, less about the the transactional leader is the one that is going to top down and, you know, give you the minimum of the piece of the pie. Right. That it's, it sort of starts here. I command everything. I language, right. You want to hear the word we, right. And by the way, I suggest that you say the word we already, even in, in interviewing, because that to me demonstrates like I'm already on board. We, we would do this and we would do that and we would do that. Right. But, um, yeah, I think there's that I versus we, You've got to have great benefits, and then you've also got to look at the values of the organization and make sure that uh, the answers that they're giving you are showing you that they they really are living those values in a very specific way on a day-to-day basis. And you might ask them what-if questions, because I know you get a chance to ask your questions. So I would come up with some what-if questions on this front. Okay, so I know we're not having a benefits conversation, and and I hate administrative work. So this is I'm about to walk on some shaky ground here. But what would be an indication that a company's benefits echoed a level of emotional intelligence or or inclusivity or compassion, like something that would be a newer version, not like paternity leave, because. I think mm-hmm. we're all like up to speed on the fact that like paternity leave is not that uncommon. Right. Right. I would say um if if you get off, let's say, for the entire week of Thanksgiving 
you get off for multiple weeks during, you know, the, the winter holidays. Um, but also, so what's something that my company did for years as we were younger is we actually took company trips. We would take the whole company on a, on a sort of retreat to Mexico. We would do some business there and we would also be at this resort with one another. That was fantastic. Now, not every company can do that due to size, but maybe it's the team. Is the team going on retreats and doing summits? Because that is key, especially for cultures right now who are hybrid or fully remote. You do need that in-person time to really bond with people. And I find that it's the destinations when you're going somewhere specifically with a group of people that you really do, everybody, they have to, they don't have any other distractions or obligations, you know, no children tugging at their sleeves, right? They, they just kind of have to really kind of sit in, in it and, and really connect with the people who are there that they're with. All right. So I, it's, I'm going to blame it all on you because you just introduced a topic that I'm very curious about as it is a continuation of this conversation which is remote versus work, you know, in the office, hybrid, are those also in the bucket of, hey, this company gets it or yes, it is the way it is. Yeah. So I, again, I think COVID woke us up and the pandemic woke us up to this feeling that we all want more out of the American dream job, which was just to pay for the house and the kids, we want more of a fulfilling job, right? We want to feel like we're, we're making a difference. We want to have this impact, but we also want the day-to-day to be fulfilling. We want to feel that energy. So um, the other thing that we learned is that people want to be majority remote. Most of people, I would say it's about 80% of people, if you did a poll, want that remote workforce life. And why is that? We want that because one of the big things that motivates humans is autonomy. We want freedom of choice, right? So if we get to choose whether or not we work at home or at the office, if it's a choice of ours, then that is wonderful. So I do think that those companies, here's where the flip side is. If you're interviewing for a company and they're saying, you must badge in three times a week. We look at the badges. We make sure that you do it at least three times a week with no rhyme or reason, no intention. Like It's not like on Tuesdays, we all have this wonderful brainstorming meeting where we're solving these issues. And that's why we want you to be here every Tuesday. If it's just any three days of the week we we're, and we're going to check, right? That signals a lack of trust. Right off the bat, you don't trust me to be working at home on my own. So you want me to come in at least three days a week. And if they don't have any intentions behind why you're there, it's also a signal that they're disorganized. They're just putting this in place because some other company's doing it, or again, that they don't trust their employees to be as productive at home as they are in the office, which is not the case, by the way. We're very productive. I actually managed that my team remotely for my entire career, those 22 years I managed remote teams. So I was doing this before there were any great tools to help us out. Um, but, um, and you want to also ask about their meetings. What do they do in their meetings? 
One of the mm-hmm. hardest things I think to sit through, I don't know if you've experienced this, Lauren, is the status update meeting. Have you ever sat through those where, you know, 15 people go around the room and say what they're working on and how far along they've gotten? And you know why they do that in those meetings? It's to benefit one person. It's to benefit the person who called the meeting so they can just get this bird's eye view of what's happening, right? There's not a lot of collaboration. There's not a lot of, oh, I'll help you out with that or, you know, mm-hmm. let me jump in here, right? It's just a sit back and listen. You sort of wait for your turn, give your report and stop. What I believe meetings are for, meetings are for either education. I've got to cascade some communication. We've got to talk about what's going on, the change in direction, the new process, etc. Or it's we've got this issue. And I need to make sure we saw, we got to solve this together. Who's got ideas here, right? Mm-hmm. And all of these meetings should be open forums where everyone feels like they've got the opportunity to say something and be heard and, you know, have that opinion known. It's got to be safe. These are such great tips, um, especially because those status meetings are are like chewing, you know, chewing gravel. They're boring. And it's also, um, I think, an easy time to tune out when it's not your time. And that's not very inclusive. Yes. So I just wanted to raise my hand and say, wait, like this very thing that's supposed to create cohesion also has runs the risk of creating silos. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move over to our signature questions. And I know you came prepared because you asked, wait, what am I supposed to do? So I just appreciate appreciate your transparency there. So as many of you know, and thank you listeners for always giving us a giggle when, when we go through these, is, is your post-it, right? So you're either a wannabe leader and no disparage, no, that's not a disparaging uh, remark. I'm a wannabe leader too. Um, or your current leader. Give me the post-it, something that like says like, hey, hey, you, like pay attention to this. Like this is like, don't let this slip through the cracks. Yeah. Well, um, I have a post-it that says slow down. Mm. Okay. And, and so there's a couple of meanings there. Certainly sure, slow down and explain. But the thing I'm trying to get at is slow down to appreciate others to do something for others, to give something to others. So it is so easy to have that email come through your inbox. Somebody did something for you. It's so easy to just want to check that off the list and say, thanks, send. But I have to remind myself to slow down and say, thank you for what? What specifically did this person just do? And why was it impactful? Mm. Right? That that's the piece that really gets to our limbic brain system that actually people feel appreciated. It's the feelings there and the why. Oh, that show me you know me. Because this one it's easy to easy to just flip out a thank you, right? Thank you because what, right? I love that. Okay. Slow yeah. down. And I I definitely I actually need it as a neon sign. And then the next question is since a lot of leadership literature. I mean, there's no shortage, right? There, there's more leadership books like coming out by the minute. So where can we cut through the volume and, and really lean into the, the ones that or one and or the few that are 
your go-to? Yeah. So I'm going to give you an old classic. That's okay. I'm a big fan of Dan Pink. And so he has a book called Drive. And so if you really want to understand what motivates human beings, read Drive. If you're trying to affect change in your organization, in your people in the organization, you first need to understand what motivates human beings. So I would read Drive by Dan Pink. All right. Add it to the list. And then the walk-up song. What's your walk-up song, Joy? All right. Well, I was thinking about this this morning because I knew you would ask. So Mm -hmm. as a child of the 80s, I have two, if that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So it depends on the mood. So I love Footloose because if you get me on a dance floor, I am a free spirit. Like, watch out. I'm going to move, right? right? I love to dance. And the second one is Eye of the Tiger. And yeah, I have the tiger because I have a bit of a fighter in me. So I was nicknamed LT Gray as a child. So I identify with that. But you know what? I'm passionate and I will fight for the things that I want to have happen. And I want to see for others. I will advocate for you to the ends of the earth. Wow. Okay. Don't, don't, don't. No, I just, I, that's all I can hear right now. Joy, aside from LinkedIn, because we'll definitely include that link, where should people come to find you? And what is the key problem that they need to come to you for? Yeah, well, I'm on, um, obviously on LinkedIn, like you said, but uh, leadingwithjoy.com is my website. And I would love for people to come to me if you're really struggling with how to get the most um, effort, energy, and fulfillment for your people, right? I know you want them to thrive. I know you want to thrive in the process as well. And so I'm going to have you put your oxygen mask on first, and then we're going to jump into helping your people. So come to me for leadership coaching or some training for your people um, and sustainable group coaching as well. So we really make that change in your company and in the environment. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you for spreading the joy literatively and figuratively. And for those of you who enjoyed this episode, go spread the joy. Please write a review on Apple or Spotify and share this with another great leader who is committed to flattening out that hierarchy and really being an inclusive leader for today's businesses and world and making more leaders. So look forward to connecting with you. Feel free to reach out and thanks for listening. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this, use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.